Good morning. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Stop, stop. I got to tell y'all something. I am tired of being sick and getting those big welcomes so regularly. He ain't dead. Yeah. Man, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Good to be back. And um, I want to thank all the Kentucky mission trip people for almost killing me on my mission trip to No, that's not true. It's not true. I tell you what, though, they did fool me. When I got up there in the mountains, they were all struggling with altitude sickness, so they were loopy, which I thought was pretty normal. But I was kind of feeling the same way, so I just chalked it up to that. And they said, oh, man, when you get down out of the mountains, you'll feel so much better. It'll just go away. And when I got down out of the mountains, I got worse. And here's, here's when it got serious. Two weeks ago today was the worst day. And I got up to make my coffee. And I couldn't reach my coffee cup up in the cabinet. And this hand was kind of going wherever it wanted to. And it could do that today. Matter of fact, if while I'm preaching today, I just wander off the stage, just go get me. Bring me back on the stage, and I'll just keep preaching. But when it started messing up my coffee life, I thought, we got to get to a hospital right now. So thank you guys so much um, for your patience with me, and uh, thank you for your prayers and your love and your comments and your cards and all of that. Thank you all so much. Also, I want you to give yourself a hand. I cannot believe this, what I'm about to say to you. But in a down economy, in a very, very unsure time in the history of our nation and in the history of our world, with many, many people um, experiencing cutbacks in their income and some of you even losing your jobs, Right now, and we've got some people who still haven't contributed yet that I know we're going to, but right now, you have given in the offering fit for a king over $200,000. Give God the glory for your faith. I'm telling you, to give like that in the environment we live in today, that is unreal, unreal. Thank you guys so much, so much for your obedience in the offering fit for king. Again, let me remind those of you who didn't participate in that or hadn't had a chance to, we would appreciate it so much. Just make a contribution of some size, $5, $10, $20, so that when God starts doing miraculous things with this offering, you can say, I had a part of that. It might have been, it might have been a little part, but it was an important part, and I had a part in that. I want to say thank you to the staff who stepped up during my sickness and uh, have just run this church with 100% uh, efficiency like a well-oiled machine. Give it up for the staff. One of my staff members said, we couldn't even tell you we're gone. That hurt just a little bit, but still. How about Dr. Jim Wall? Didn't he do a great job last week? Great job. I wrote that sermon for him, but I thought he preached it really well. And I just want to thank all of you, man. You guys have just been so awesome. So we're in a sermon series called Church Fibs. 
church fibs because some well-meaning people, I believe they're well-meaning people, some of them are preachers, some of them are churches, uh, some of them are um, TV ministries or whatever, I think they're well-meaning, but sometimes we say things that uh, we uh, contribute to the Bible. We say the Bible said that, the Bible teaches this, and really the Bible doesn't. And last week, uh, Jim handled so well the teaching on, hey, follow your heart, follow your heart. And we hear that in the church, and of course, he brought a beautiful message on filters that when you're about to make a big decision or you're about to do something in your life, you've got to run it through those filters because sometimes your heart is wrong. As a matter of fact, I don't know what your Bible says, but my Bible says that the heart is very wicked and deceitful. So we can't always follow our heart. Oftentimes we think following our heart is following God when it could be following our own fleshly desires. So good job. Uh, by GM. Here's another one today we're going to deal with. We hear this a lot. Hey, man, don't worry. God will never put more on you than you can bear. God will never put more on you than you can handle. I mean, the Bible says it. Paul said it to the Corinthians. God will never put more on you than you can bear. So we're going to look at the scripture that we take that from and how that we have pulled it out of context. When you are interpreting the meaning of a verse of Scripture or a passage of Scripture or a chapter in the Bible, there are several things you need to do. One, one thing you need to do is make sure that when you're telling people what that means, that you are uh, interpreting it in the right context. The verse that we're going to use today is a perfect example of taking a verse out of context. Um, so you want to make sure that you are reading it in the context. The way you do that is understand that whole book of the Bible. You understand that whole book of the Bible. When I say understand it, I don't mean you understand every little uh, punctuation mark, every little word, every little Greek word, Hebrew word, whatever. I'm just saying you need to know what's going on in that book of the Bible. You need to know what was happening. You need to know the situation Paul was in. As a matter of fact, a lot of people don't know but much of Paul's writings were done while he was in prison. So when you understand that Paul was in prison, when he was trying to tell the Philippians who weren't in prison to have joy, here's a guy in prison encouraging free people, hey, don't be so down, have joy, have joy. That makes you appreciate so much more the Paul's words and his relationship with God. So in context is very, very important. So you don't only read one verse, but you read the verses around it. You read that whole book. You read that whole chapter, the chapter before it, the chapter after. And there's wonderful, wonderful study guides available for you and study materials and tools available for you so you can get a right context on what you're reading. The other thing you want to do is when you're reading about a principle in the Bible, for instance, uh, the, the mistaken principle where we say God will never put more on you than you can handle. Well, you have to look at other scriptures in the Bible, and we'll do that today, that will show you that that verse, though it may sound like that's what it's saying, the Bible over here says something totally different, so then that verse can't really be saying what you interpret it, it to be saying, and I'll show you what I mean in just a minute. So this is really important. Let's look at the verse where we get this mistaken idea from, and it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Notice the yellow words in the text up here. 
I've got a little cough left over from a cold I had, so hang in there with me today. I've got this uh, turn off the button and coughing. I've got that down pat, don't I? You know, even though I had a stroke, I'm really coordinated with that, you know, so it's really important. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So here's the verse we get that from. How many of you ever heard that, by the way? God will never put more on you than you can handle. God will never put more on you than you can bear. You know what? I've probably not only heard it, I've probably said that. I've probably used that to encourage people. But I don't want to do that anymore because that would be um, out of context. So probably earlier in my ministry, uh, no doubt, had done that. What does it say? No what? No temptation has seized you or overtaken you except what is common to man. Have you ever been tempted to do something and the enemy just got all in there and just made you think what a sorry person you are, what a no good uh, person you are because you were tempted? Uh, nobody else is tempted to do something that bad. You're terrible. You're awful. You're worse than everybody else. What does that verse, what does that sentence say? It says that there is no temptation that you've ever had that is not what? Common to Man, so a lot of people, no matter what your temptation is, uh, and by the way, temptation is not sin, is it? Because Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. So you can be tempted. As a matter of fact, you're going to be tempted. And so your temptations are common to man. So one of the enemy's primary things that he tries to do, and you've heard me preach on this before, is isolate you and make you think you're worse. Make you think your problem isn't solvable. God will help everybody else, but not you. Think about the woman who had the issue of blood, the woman who had the hemorrhage, and she was considered unclean. Every time she'd go to the marketplace, every time she would uh, be around even her family, unclean, unclean, don't touch her, don't be around her, she's unclean. And so she pushed her way through the crowd one day, and I'm sure they cleared the way for her because she was considered unclean. And, you know, she could have bought into that whole thing, and she could have even bought into the fact that a lot of Christians, uh, a fact that a lot of Christians think is true today, but it's not true, is that Jesus feels that way about you. See, she could have believed even Jesus doesn't want me to touch him. Even Jesus doesn't want me to approach him because I'm so messed up. But the Bible says she didn't buy into that. I believe this is a word for somebody here today. I don't care what the enemy says to you about your past or even what you did last night. Jesus is saying to you, come unto me. Come unto me. Don't you ever buy into the belief that Jesus is like, I am done with you. You have failed too many times. You've messed up too many times. I've given you too many chances. That's it. I'm done with you. Just stay away from me. That is the voice of the enemy. Anytime you hear that message, it's the voice of the enemy. Let me say this to you. If that were true, then your pastor couldn't come to Jesus anymore because I've messed up way too many times. But he always, 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 always stands before Pharaoh Hardison, even in all his failures, and says, come to me. You're my son. You're my son. Come to me. So don't let the enemy isolate you. Don't let him isolate you. No temptation has seized or overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is what? Faithful. He will not let you be, boom, there it is, beyond what you can bear. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out 
so that you can stand under it. So here's what he's saying. He's saying there's no temptation. There's no temptation you can't bear. So when you sin, when you give in to a temptation and sin, don't you dare say, I couldn't help it. Because you can. You might have an addiction today. You might have uh, other issues and you just go, well, you know, I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I just can't help it. Yes, you can. According to this scripture, he will provide you what? A way out. There is no temptation that has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's the word of the Lord. So what does it not say that we've often indicated that it says? Here's what we've kind of indicated. No bad situation in life, no bad circumstance of life has seized or overtaken you except what is common to man. Now, that may be true. And God is faithful. He will not let you have any bad situation in life that is beyond what you can bear. See, that's what we've said. That's where we've pulled this out of context. But he's talking specifically, categorically about temptation, not bad circumstances. There are bad circumstances that are going to come in your life that are more than you can bear. They're more than you can bear. And so we'll talk about how to bear them anyway in just a little while. Now, one of the ways, remember I told you earlier that one of the ways we find out if a verse is true is that we don't just read that verse, but we read other verses that deal with the same topic. So in this same book of 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 10. I want us to back up to chapter 2, and let's read what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2 and 8. So to interpret 1 Corinthians 10, 13 correctly, we have to read 1 Corinthians 2, 8. Paul says, what did I tell you all a few weeks ago? I'm the mayor of what? Realville. I'm the mayor of Realville, okay? I, I just believe you ought to be real. I just believe you ought to be honest. I just believe you ought to tell it like it is. I believe it's foolish for a pastor get, to get up in front of his church and, and say, oh, if you'll get to this level of faith, you'll never be sick, you'll never have problems, you'll never have financial troubles. It's just you got to get your faith up. The only problem with that is it's not true because I know a bunch of people with a whole bunch of faith who go through a whole bunch of trouble. And it's not because they're not trusting God. It's not because they're not walking with God. It's not because they don't have enough faith. It's not because they've sinned. It's just called life. Now, if you want to go to a church where a preacher's going to tell you that if you can get enough faith and you can get enough of the word in you and you'll pray more, that you're going to get to a place in your life where God will isolate you in a bubble and you won't have troubles like other people, I'm going to tell you you're not going to hear that preached in this church. So if you're waiting for it, it ain't coming because I'm the mayor of Realville. 1 Corinthians 2.8. We do not want you to be misinformed. Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. We do not want you to be misinformed, brothers, so he's talking to Christians, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under what? Great pressure. Listen to this. Everybody read this with me. Far beyond our ability to what? Boom. 
But didn't he just say in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that he wouldn't put more on us than, he can, than we can bear? No, he didn't. He said you were never tempted at a level you can't say no to that temptation. He said we were put under circumstances and situations and pressure in the province of Asia that was beyond our ability to endure so that we got so discouraged in the midst of all that, we despaired even of, who's talking here? Paul. Now, I know you're a great Christian, but I don't believe you're Paul. And if Paul said that, I think that might be true about us too. Amen. He's a man of God. He is a Christian. He is a man of faith. He said, it was beyond my ability to endure it. He said, I just wanted God to take me, you know, Calgon, take me away. Have you ever prayed, Jesus, take me away? Have you ever said, Lord, I wish the rapture would happen right now? Amen. You ever prayed for that? And then I look over and see some folks that don't know Jesus, and I go, well, just wait 15 more minutes. But I mean, I just want, I despair sometimes. I, I got to tell you guys, I got to tell you, Sunday was a bad day for me mentally. It wasn't just a bad day for me physically. It was a bad day for me mentally, and I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling. I will tell you that I went and played nine holes of golf by myself because I just wanted to see what I could do. I think I'm better since the stroke. <laughs> now here's why. I don't grip the club as hard and I'm more relaxed. Like right now, I'm feeling pretty relaxed right now. That's one of the side benefits of a stroke. So I shot a 45 on the front nine. I only played nine. So my whole point is that, you know, you kind of got to, you kind of got to look at yourself and look at what's going on in your life. And you go, I can't sit here. I can't let myself sink into this. What day was it that it rained all day long? Was that, was that like, what day was that? There was a day when I got back from the hospital. I think it was the next day I came home on, I think I came home on uh, Monday, no, Tuesday. Did it rain all day? Well, yes, all day long. I just got home from the hospital. It rained all day long. I'm staring out the window singing, poor pitiful me. You know that uh, Ron, Linda Ronstadt song, poor, poor pitiful me. See, because I, I just want to be real with you today. I'm your pastor. I'm your spiritual leader. I'm supposed to be an example to you, but I got to tell you, there are times when I feel like I can't endure. There are times when I feel like I despair even of life. I'll be honest with you, when I got up Sunday morning two weeks ago, I thought, God, if it's going to stay like this, I, I'd rather just go. I'd rather just go. So you can get there as a Christian, as a believer. Let's look at another thing Paul said. Let's go to the second letter to the Corinthians. That's the first one, 1 Corinthians. He wrote them another letter in uh, 2 Corinthians. <laughs> Excuse me. Now here's what happened here. What happened here was some false teachers had come into the church. Paul had gone away, and some false teachers had come into the church, and Paul was reminding them, why are you listening to these false teachers? Paul was saying, man, I've paid the price. 
You guys know my life. You don't even know these teachers, and you're buying into some of the stuff they say. He said, you know my life. He said, I've given my life for the gospel. I've given my life for Jesus Christ. So Paul is telling us about his credentials. He's, he's reminding his church, you need to listen to me. You don't listen to these false teachers. You don't even know anything about them. He said, let me tell you a little bit about myself. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. Five times I received from, I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Now, y'all know about that, don't you? When the Jews would beat you, or, or when there was a beating uh, for punishment, uh, they wouldn't, they, it's 40 lashes. You were sentenced to 40 lashes, but they'd only do 39 because they wanted to make sure they didn't go over the 40 limit. I thought, that was so sweet. Isn't that just sweet? I mean, like 39, you're like, oh, thank y'all for being so nice. So, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Y'all with me? And I was pelted with stones. Now, this is the NIV New International Version. I got to tell you, pelted with stones almost sounds like they got little pebbles going, pink, pink. They had rocks. Some rocks they had to carry with two hands. They were stoning him. As a matter of fact, when they got through stoning him, they thought he was dead. They drug him out to the trash pile, threw him up on the trash pile to decay and be gone. The Bible says Paul came to regain consciousness and went right back into the same city and preached again. Now, boy, there's your faith right there. You want to see faith, don't talk about it. Walk it out. Paul said, I was being pelted with stones. I got stoned three times. I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea just floating around after one of those shipwrecks. Does this sound like somebody who might have had some stuff happen to his life that he couldn't bear? How many of y'all, if you knew that was coming in your life right now, you'd be a little nervous? You'd go, I don't know if I can bear that. He goes on, he goes, and see, they're like, oh, yeah, I see. He goes, no, 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 man, I ain't done. Verse 26. I've been constantly on the move, ain't got a home. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, he threw us in there, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Paul goes, I've had some troubles. I've had some stuff I didn't think I could bear. God's put me through some stuff that I, had to, that I had to try to get through, but I couldn't bear it. I couldn't bear all that. Look at the next verse. He said, I have labored and toiled and, had often, and have often gone without sleep. Somebody say amen. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, the thing that's really the biggest pressure in my life, Paul says, are the churches I pastor. He said, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches I've started. So here is a man, look at that list. Here is a man who went through many, many, many things that had you ask him, Paul, can you bear this? If, if I put you through this, if God had said, if I put you through this, can you bear it? Paul would have said, I don't think I can bear that. I, I don't believe I can bear it. Sounds like the, the life of a faithful man of God going through things that humanly we can't bear. One writer said this, and I know we don't want to see God this way. I, don't, I know we don't like seeing God this way. But did you know God will break you so he can remake you? God will break you so he can remake you. 
I could, I could preach a series of sermons from now through the end of the year and into next year about, excuse me, about people in the Bible who got prideful, who rebelled against God, and God broke them. He broke them so he could bless them. I'll just give you one example. Old Jacob was a tricker supplanter. Jacob was a deceiver. And the Bible says he was left alone with God. And there he wrestled all night with God. And the scripture says that finally that angel touched his hip and pulled it out of socket. And the scripture says that Jacob walked with a limp from that day on to remind him, be humble before God. Don't try to get what you want apart from God. Keep yourself humble before God at all times. Listen to me, listen. He broke him so he could bless him. Here's what Hosea said, the prophet Hosea in Hosea 6 and 1. Look at this. Come, let us return to the Lord. Now, you can't return to the Lord unless you've what? Been away from the Lord. So come, let us return to the Lord. He's talking to Israel here. He says, he has what? Who's he? God. He has torn us, how? To pieces. I love that word right there. But we need some big butts in the church. Amen? Did I say that out loud? It's the stroke. He has torn us to pieces, but, hallelujah, everybody say hallelujah, but he will heal us. He has us, but, that's a big but right there, but he will he will break you so he can bless you. And I know we don't like to think about God like that, but let me tell you something. God is not a big Santa Claus sitting up in heaven wanting you to sit on his knee and make your wishes to make your life more comfortable. God isn't about making you happy. God's about making you holy. And he is not a Santa Claus. He's a father. And good fathers discipline their children. And in Hebrews chapter 5, I believe it's chapter 5, maybe chapter 12, anyway, it's in Hebrews. He talks about spanking his children. And you say, I don't spank my children. We know. We know. But God does. You may not, listen, I don't, look, I know you're like, he's 58, he's had a stroke, he's just old-fashioned. Listen to me. You might not spank your children, but God does. God will whoop you. Hallelujah. I wouldn't be a preacher. I wouldn't be a Christian. I wouldn't be a follower of Jesus today if God had not spanked me when I needed it. He will break you so he can bless you. He will tear you. He will injure you, but he will also, after he's done that, he'll heal you. He'll bind up your wounds. I told you the story, 23rd Psalm, of the shepherd who, who will take the rod and he, he will try to discipline the stubborn sheep. And after he's popped him on the nose and popped him on the backside and, and done everything he can to keep him from straying off because the shepherd knows if the sheep strays off, he's going to get hurt. If the sheep strays off, he's vulnerable to the bear and he's vulnerable to the lion and he's vulnerable to the wolf. So he spanks him to keep him in line. 
But what the shepherd would do when he couldn't get him to stay in line by just tapping him with the rod, he would take that rod and break his leg. And then he would bind that leg up. You've seen the picture. And he would pick that sheep up and put him around his neck and carry him until that leg healed. That's how God works. I know you don't like it. I know you can't think of God doing that. But I'm telling you, when you stand before him on judgment day, you're going to thank him for every spiritual spanking you ever got. Because you're going to stand before God holy that day. You're going to stand before God righteous that day. You're going to stand before God ready to go into heaven that day because he loved you enough to tan your hide when you needed it. And I know we don't like to hear about God like that, but it's just true. But sometimes, sometimes it's not because we did something. Sometimes we just have trouble, and we didn't do anything to have trouble. We just had it. And I think about old Jeremiah over there in... um, in, in the book of Jeremiah, how many of y'all read a little bit of Jeremiah? Jeremiah is a great preacher. Matter of fact, when God called him to preach, Jeremiah said, I can't preach, I can't preach. He said, I can't put two words together. Here's what God said to Jeremiah. He said, in your mother's womb, I called you to be a preacher. He said, and when you go stand before the people, don't you worry about it. I will put words in your mouth. And so Jeremiah accepted to call the preach, and then everybody he preached to rejected him. Everybody he preached to rejected him. I mean, you want to read a book in the Bible that talks about a preacher that nobody in his congregation liked him. Nobody liked him. Nobody wanted to hear anything he preached. I'm telling you, it was poor old Jeremiah. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah chapter 9, he says, I wish I could find a hotel so I could check in it and nobody would know me and I could just hide in a hotel room. Anybody ever felt like that? You say, no, no, I can't admit that. Jeremiah just admitted it right there in Jeremiah chapter 9. He said, I'd love to go into a house of lodging and just stay there and hide. He said, everything I preach, nobody will listen to what I preach. What is the book after Jeremiah in your Bible? Lamentations. You know who wrote that book? Jeremiah wrote that book. You know what Lamentations means? Weeping. I mean, Jeremiah wrote the book of Jeremiah and talked all about his troubles, and he said, that ain't enough. I'm going to write a whole book about all the times I cried. And buddy, Lamentations, and I know we don't pay that book very much attention, but that is nothing in the world but a man of God, a preacher, a prophet, who has preached and preached and preached and preached and told the truth and done what God said, and the people rejected, 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 criticized him, talked about him, threatened him, and, and he just wrote that book of Lamentations under the direction of the Holy Spirit, just saying, I can't bear it. I just can't bear it. I, I, I can't bear this. And then you read in the Psalms, and often you read, how many of y'all love the book of Psalms? You like to read in the Psalms? Yeah, that's one of the favorites. But in the book of Psalms, the psalmist, most of the time it's David, says, how long? How long, God, before, I can, before you're going to let me win a battle? How long are my enemies going to have power over me? I mean, he's like, God, I can't take this. I can't bear this. All through the Psalms, you read it. Think of our Lord Jesus, who his own father. What does the Bible say? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou 
forsaken me. And in Isaiah 53, 10, because Isaiah is an Old Testament book, but it talks a lot about New Testament stuff. It talks a lot about the prophet, I mean the um, Messiah, Jesus. And in Isaiah 53, 10, Jesus, he's talking about Jesus there. And here's what the Bible says. Here's what Isaiah says about how the Father, what the Father's will for Jesus was. Listen to this. It says, it was the Lord's will. It was God the Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It was God the Father's will. And it's talking about Jesus here. It was God the Father's will to crush him. To crush him and to cause him to suffer. That's what Isaiah said about how the father needed this to happen to the son. Listen, so you and I could be saved. So you and I could be redeemed. Do you think God the father loved his son Jesus any less than you love your own child? But the Bible says God the father turned. He couldn't look on his son. When his son bore all our sins on the cross, God the father couldn't look on that. He turned. My God, my God, why? because he had to suffer. He had to be crushed. He had to bleed. He had to die. Why? Because his sin, no, he had no sin. So our sin could be eradicated, could be taken away. So we could be cleansed. Yes, God will break you. When you study all these examples, it would be untrue for me to stand up here and say, God will never put more on you than you can bear. Don't worry. You're going to be fine. God will never put more on you than you can bear. Let me tell you something. He has put more on you than you can bear. He does put more on you than you can bear, and he will put more on you than you can bear. But he's provided one to bear it with us. And the one he's provided to bear it with us is his son, Jesus. He bore he bore it for us. He took it upon himself. It would really be more accurate to say God will never place more on you than Jesus can handle. Everybody say that with me. God will never place more on me than the Jesus in me can handle. Amen, amen? You see, Christians are unhealthily obsessed with escapism. Nobody likes pain. Nobody likes suffering. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable in any way. But all of these things are a part of life. And hey, listen, wake up. They're, these things are a part, pain, suffering, uncomfortable. They're a part not just of life, but of the Christian life. The Christian life. Look what it says. And this deals with persecution. In Romans 8, 17, it says, Now if we are children of God... That's what it means. If we are children of God, then we are heirs. We inherit. Heirs of God and co-heirs with our elder brother who is Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings. You cannot share in his glory without sharing in his sufferings. And this deals with persecution because you're trying to live for Jesus in an anti-Jesus world. And if you try to live for Jesus in an anti-Jesus world, you're going to suffer. And when you suffer for it, don't whine about it. Be honored by it. Be honored by it. When you suffer because you're trying to live for Jesus, don't whine about it and say, why me? Be honored that you are living so much for Jesus that you would get talked about and criticized and mocked and ridiculed. Wear it as a badge of honor. Do you hear me out there? 
He says, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his. You say, well, right now I'm sharing in his sufferings. Okay, well, you're going to eventually share in his glory. Look what it says in Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Anybody here want to know Christ? I want to know the power of his resurrection. Hallelujah. That's revival talk right there. That's, that's awesome. But if I'm going to know the power of his resurrection, that means I've got to know the fellowship of sharing in his what? Sufferings. This is not popular preaching, but I'm going to say it anyway. A call to follow Christ is a call to suffer. Because we live in an anti-Christ world. And if you follow Christ in an anti-Christ world, you're going to suffer. As a matter of fact, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to bear a yoke. If you're going to follow me, you've got to carry a cross in Matthew 16, 24. But again, Christians are obsessed with this whole thing of escaping the yoke and escaping the cross. I don't want to bear the yoke. I don't want to bear the cross then you don't want to be a follower of Jesus because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to bear a yoke. You're going to bear a cross. It's not a, it's not a rose garden. Y'all remember that great gospel song, I Never Promised You a Rose Garden? We're far too concerned about being safe. I'll say that again. I know y'all didn't hear me. We're far too concerned about being safe with being safe We're far too concerned about being comfortable. So it's easy then and natural for us to expect God to just deliver us from all our little burdens and all the little thorns of life. But as much as we do not want to even consider this, and I know this is going to come as a shocker, deliverance may not be God's plan for you right now. Ultimately, we're going to get delivered. But right now, it may not be his plan for you. Unfortunately, a lot of pastors and Christian celebrities and TV preachers parrot the false message that coming to Christ and belonging to God equals comfort. I've heard a lot of preachers say when they're trying to get unbelievers to get saved, they say things like, come to Jesus and all your problems and cares will go away. And I want to go, can I come back up there? Because I didn't get that. I need that salvation because I still have troubles and cares and problems. That's false teaching. It's unbiblical teaching. It is dangerous teaching. And here's why it's dangerous. What will happen if God chooses to turn up the refiner's fire on that new Christian? How many of you know God turned the heat up on you? So if God decides to turn the refiner's fire up on that new Christian and you told him when he gets saved he won't have any of that going on in his life, no problems, no consternation, no opposition, no heat, everything's going to be comfortable until you get to heaven... You know what's going to happen when that fire gets turned up? He's going to be confused. He's going to be disappointed. He's going to be depressed. He's going to be even angry at God. Matter of fact, here's what the Bible says. If God wasn't going to put more on us than we can bear, why did he say in Galatians 6 and 2, carry each other's burdens? Why did he say to you, hey, help Pastor Farrell carry his burden? And when you're hurting, he'll help you carry your burden. You know why? Because I can't bear it. If I'd had to go through what I went through the last two weeks without you praying for me and encouraging me and, and loving on me and, and, and letting me know that, that everything 
you know, is going to be okay because you're going to be there with me and you're going to pray for me and that you love me and you're, you know I'm going to come through this. And if I wasn't getting that kind of encouragement from you, I couldn't have borne it. I couldn't have, I couldn't have handled it. That's why the Bible says carry each other's burdens. I've got a treat for you all this morning right here at the end of my sermon. I want to ask uh, Pastor Andrew and Nicole if they were to come up here. How many of y'all think Pastor Andrew and Nicole may have gone through something that's unbearable? Amen. <laughs> Pastor Andrew, I want you and Nicole just to share with us your testimony. All right. Uh, well, as Pastor said, my name is Andrew, and I am the Bridge Kids Pastor here at uh, this campus and the Goldsboro campus. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, awesome. And um, this is my beautiful and talented and amazing wife, Nicole. Yeah. Yeah, you should be more excited about that, I promise you. Um, <laughs> I want to, thank, want to thank Pastor Farrell for allowing us to come and share as we talk about this church fib that God will never put more on you than what you can bear. And... Uh, so for us, we just wanted to share a little bit um, about, and when I say us, she, she told me uh, Thursday night, she said, Andrew, you're the preacher and I'm the singer. So you got to do the talking. <laughs> um, anyway, 13 months ago today, our world uh, changed forever. Our, our little son, Jordan, was born. And uh, it was pretty cool the day before. Um, I'd gotten a call from her. Uh, it was about lunchtime. And um, this was a call that I had been waiting for. Uh, she was 40 weeks and three days pregnant. And so for those who, you know, haven't had kids yet or whatever, 40 weeks is full term. So this little guy, not only had he reached his due date, but he was just hanging out. He was going to make a grand entrance. And uh, so really for about two weeks prior I just knew at any time I could get the phone call that, you know, like you see in the movies. Hey, I'm in labor, you know, or my water just broke and Mason's coming. I mean, uh, Jordan's coming. And anyway, so I had been looking forward to getting this call. And uh, so I hadn't been turning my phone uh, volume down. I mean, leaving my phone volume up, checking it in meetings. If she would call me, I would answer. And so... Uh, like I said, the day before at lunch, um, right after lunch, she called me, and it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. She said, hey, Andrew, um, just a little concerned, a little worried, hadn't felt Jordan move in a while. We had an OB appointment, a baby doctor appointment, uh, later on that afternoon, but she said, man, I'd really just like to go on in for peace of mind. I, I feel, you know, something doesn't feel right. And so I rushed on home because the whole time during this pregnancy, Nicole had read the books and she just had been like so in touch with her body and knew what was going on. And so I rushed home. We got up there to the OB and uh, just wanted somebody to tell us, hey, everything's okay. You're good. Well, we got up there and they did the Doppler, uh, which is where they checked for the heartbeat and um, did that. And then they took us into the ultrasound room. And when we were in the ultrasound room, the lady was just kind of quiet, and uh, she's, you know, she's working, she's busy typing on the computer, so guys, I don't know if you've ever been in there, but, you know, you wonder, like, how much do I talk? I don't want to distract her or disrupt what she's doing, but 
let us know something. I mean, honestly, you know, we're a little worried. Just go ahead and tell us, hey, everything's cool. And so they ended up taking us into the doctor's office. And uh, at that point, we knew something was a little bit different because um, all the times before they had taken us into the exam room, but this time they took us into the office. And I looked at Nicole and I said, something, something's wrong. Something feels weird. This is not right. What, what's going on? About that time, the doctor walked in and um, the words that she said next, I will never forget. She said, I am so sorry but we are not detecting any cardiac activity. At that moment, my heart sank. And I, I waited for what she would say next. I was, I was thinking, well, are we rushing to the hospital? Or are we going to put the little paddles? Like, what are we doing? What's happening? And it was at that point that I began to realize this wasn't an emergency to her. Jordan was already gone in her mind. So, of course, we, we didn't take that, accept that for an answer. We went over to the hospital and had another doctor over there look at it, and he said the same thing. So we scheduled a time to come back that next morning to have the C-section. And that night, Nicole and I both have grown up in church. We've both grown up knowing that, that man, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and not only did he do that, man, God is so powerful. God made the sun stand still when Joshua asked him to. God made it not rain for three and a half years whenever the prophet Elijah asked him to. And we just knew that God could do anything. And so we prayed, and you guys were so amazing. We told the staff, the staff started praying. Uh, you guys, as our church family, you started praying. We started seeing stuff all over Facebook, unspoken prayer requests, those types of things. Churches that we have never even heard of them in different states, they were praying for us. And so that night, we just prayed and prayed and prayed until we just literally couldn't pray anymore and we couldn't sleep. And so we started watching some, uh, started watching some sermons. And that next morning, we knew, we knew what the doctors had said, but we just believed that, man, God is going to do a miracle. And so we went in for the C-section and uh, it wasn't long at all. And the nurse brought around, brought Jordan to me. And as I held him for that first time, he was gone. And I realized that everything that we had been planning for for the past 10 months, Picking out his name, decorating his nursery, putting together, assembling the crib, the, you know, all those crazy things that babies have now, the strollers, the cars, all, all that stuff. And every bit of it was in place. We had picked out what he was going to, who was going to care for him, what was going to happen. And in that moment, as I held him for the first time, we both realized that 
none of those things that we've been thinking about for 10 months were going to happen. I'll never forget what Pastor Farrell said. He came and he visited us that day in the hospital. And he said two things that I really remember. He said, Andrew, it's okay. Nicole, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to have questions. But let me tell you something. God is not going to waste this bad experience. And God can turn it around and he can use what the devil meant for harm. He can use this situation that is more than you can bear. He can use it for good. And at that moment, you know, your heart is shattered into a million pieces. And to think about, like, what is God going to do to use this? But it was so amazing. Six weeks later, I got the opportunity. Uh, pastor was very gracious to, to let me preach. And that night, that Wednesday night, 20 people in this auditorium gave their heart to Jesus. We put it on the website, on the, in the message archives, and in the past 13 months, I, I've gotten emails from Indiana, Virginia, South Carolina, and different places in North Carolina. It's just amazing to know the difference that Jordan's life has made. And so for us, that was, that was the most important thing, that, that even though his life was short and even though, you know, we have no idea why, this happened, that somehow God could use this thing that we didn't see any good in, and he could do something good. And then the second thing that Pastor Farrell told us that day in the hospital, he said, guys, it was the prophet, it was uh, the man of God, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7. It was in his darkest hour as he was being stoned to death that he looked up, and the Bible says that it was then he saw God most clearly. That heaven opened, and he got to look and see God. And so I know for us, Pastor said, Pastor said it earlier, God will break us so he can remake us. And we know that, that over the past 13 months, um, God has done some amazing things in our life. I wish we had time to, to share with you all that God has been up to. But we know that God has been at work in our lives in a way that probably would not have happened had it not been for Jordan not being with us. But I don't want to leave today, I don't want to leave today on a heavy note. I want to tell you that God, when he takes us through those hard uh, times, those storms in life, those, those things that are more than we can bear, the good news is, church, that he takes us through them. He doesn't leave us there in it. And so here we are two months away from having our second little boy, Mason. <laughs> Praise God. He is amazing. And uh, so today... We know that God will give us more than we can bear. But it's like Pastor said, in those moments, it's not more than the Jesus in us can bear. Pastor, thank you.
Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Nicole. It's very, very popular today to believe that God will not place more on us than we can handle. However, the scriptures don't teach that. An unbiblical escapist mentality pressures us to believe what is not true. Holding on to erroneous interpretations of Scripture does not produce hope. As a matter of fact, it produces hopelessness when our false expectations are not realized. I want to leave you with one more passage of Scripture. God is speaking to the nation of Israel. It's important that you understand this in that context. And this is all the way back in the Old Testament now in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. So let's look at this. Israel, this is Isaiah talking. The Holy Spirit has inspired Isaiah to say this. Israel, the Lord who created you says, do not be afraid, I will save you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When, not if, but when you pass through deep waters, I will be with you. Your troubles will not ultimately overwhelm you. It's important that you understand ultimately. And I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute. Go to the next slide. When you pass through fire, you will not ultimately be destroyed by that fire. You will not ultimately be burned. The hard trials that come will not hurt you. When you study that, it means destroy you. For I am the Lord your God, the holy God of Israel, who what? Now here's the deal. We're all going to be delivered. All of us who follow Jesus, we're all going to one day be 100% healed. One day we're going to all be 100% delivered. And when we go through troubles and fire and floods and whatever we go through, and that can be symbolic or it can be real, God is saying to us here, you will not ultimately be destroyed because in the end, you will be delivered. You will be set free. Now, I know sometimes in this life, God does a miracle and delivers people right now. Here's my point I'm making to you. That's not always God's plan. I'd love to be able to stand here and tell you it's always God's will to heal. Matter of fact, I see people post on Facebook, it's always God's will to heal. It's just up to us to have enough faith. I, please don't put that on my wall. I know people with faith that would make my faith look tiny who have died and didn't get healed because God didn't deliver them now he delivered them in a different way. He says, ultimately, you're going to all be healed. You're going to all be delivered. You're going to be all be set free. So how do we get through those hard times we can't bear? How do we get through them now? By leaning on him, the one who bears for us, and by leaning on one another. Amen? Amen. That's it. Now, that's real veal right there. Now, I know when you preach like that, you don't get the hallelujahs and the shouts and people don't turn chairs over with excitement. I mean, I could get up here and go, oh, God's going to, and he's going to do this, and he's going to do this, and I know without a doubt if you can get your faith up here, he's going to. 
well, that could just make this an exciting service and, and we might even have more people who attend. But you know what? Reality is that sometimes God don't work that way. God works different ways. And some of you have had family members and friends who had faith through the roof and you prayed for them and you fasted for them and you believed for them. Some of you have done that for your marriage, but it's not working out. Things just aren't working out. You don't know what's going on. You just can't figure it out. I'm telling you right now, God works in his own framework. He works in his own uh, time. He will not go against the will of another person because we have a free choice. Lean on him. Lean on each other. And whatever you're going through, I, I agree with Pastor Andrew, you'll get through it. You'll get through it. You may not be delivered from it, but you'll get through it. I hope this helped you. I hope this helped you. I hope it was a blessing to you.